I became fascinated with looking at things where they fall in a, for lack of a better word, on a timeline. You might find out something about that story that could not be anything but God. Now you're reading that and you're thinking, why do I care about idiots? Yeah, and listening to it going, I don't want to listen to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. I'm a snake. I'm a slitherous snake. I'm a snake of snake. <laughs> you have the potential to do great evil or to do great good. Because what you see when you begin to look at history is that we're all connected. This is History Through the Eyes of Faith with Angie Ferris. And I'm your host, Frank Rains Jr., along with producer Wes. Thanks for listening. All right, we are back. Episode 22. Come on, twos. Come on, twos. See what it'll do, twos. For some reason, when I think 22, I just think of a, a jersey number. Come on, deuces. Let's go. Come on, twos. Yeah, she's not ready to start. I am she's ready not, okay, to start. can we just I'm go sorry. back? Can we just go back? Can we just go back? <laughs> no. We'll keep it all in. We'll keep it in. We'll just keep it rolling. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. By the way, that's a reference to a Bill O'Reilly freak out that you can find on YouTube <laughs> that you probably probably don't want to watch. Hey, Angie, how are you? I am good, Frank. How are you? I am good. I just, uh, I, I have had a full day. A lot of good things happening today. Producer Wes is here. He is uh, doing a great job. Um, studio still under construction, but we are uh, making some progress. Um, looking forward to how things go in the next um, coming months to get settled here in this space. Again, I'm distracted by the Care Bear bag on the couch. Yeah. yeah when the in tw- episode 21, we talked about that. So it's still here in episode 22. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, they are on swings, aren't they? Yeah, the Care little Bears. stars with smiley faces and rainbows. That bag may be thirty years old. Really? It may be. <laughs> it very well may be. I got gift bags older than you, boy. Oh, let me tell you, I do. <laughs> I've got gift bags older than you. I took a guest closet in a room that's used as an office. And mm-hmm. organize the gift bags, and they hang on hangers. And you know, if you need a gift bag, just come to my house. There you go. So let me just thinking about that. Um, just anecdotes. Uh, the last, let's say, the last few days. What's been a highlight for you? The last few days. The last few days. Um, and I'm just saying that oh, because I'm not going to call oh, out any this specific is a good days. Story. Of, okay. This is a good story. We, uh, Tim and I, went and bought a washer and dryer on Friday. Okay. And we got to talking about that. Front loader? Yes, because I've wanted one. I know some. the lady at the store said, a lot of people hate them, but I love mine. And she gave me all the tips on how to use it and take care of it so that you would love it. But um, I wanted it because I need the tops. I have limited space in my laundry room, and I need a counter on top of my washer and dryer. So I needed front loader. Yeah. And so I'm very excited about that. It's going to be delivered sometime this week, which led to a lot of projects for my husband to get, but he knew that anyway, to get the room ready. But we were talking, we have been married for 37 years. This is the first dryer we have ever bought and only the second washer. How how have you never bought a dryer? Well, when we married, we were in an apartment. When we moved into our first house, two or three years later, same time my parents were moving into a house in Florida. So they had put, they had left all their furniture and all that stuff in their previous home while they were building in Florida and got a washer and dryer from like a storage unit sale thing that they used in the apartment. And when they were moving in their house, they said, well, y'all can have this washer and dryer that we got if you um, can just ship it to Tennessee, which we did. So that was our first washer and dryer. So somewhere in that first house, in that first seven or eight years, we believe it was the washer. I might be getting this wrong. It might have been the dryer, but we believe it was the washer that broke. And we called the service people. Those parts, the the washer was made in the 50s. This was in the 80s. The parts did not exist. The parts cost more than a new machine. So we went and bought a washer. Okay, so now we have a washer and a dryer. I'm not all hung up on how they look. I've never had a laundry room that was in a public place. 
It's just like it in works. In a public place. Like a lot of people coming and going in and out of the house would see it. Okay. 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 <laughs> There's a lot of people in and out of my house, right? But my laundry room has always been tucked away. So anyway, no big deal. So then we move to our next house six, seven years later. We take that washer and dryer with us. Mm-hmm. And they work at that house for the 13 years that we live there. So this original dryer is still the same dryer. Well, From the 50s? No, I, if it went with the washer was from the 50s, so maybe the dryer was too. I don't know. It didn't look that old, but I don't know. It still worked. So when we bought our house that we're in now 15 years ago, almost 16, they left their washer and dryer there. So we gave away the washer and dryer that we, the one we had bought and the one that we'd had. And we had this one. And then that washer just broke. Wow. So we bought a new, and the dryer has been, you know, it's not great. So we've been talking, we're going to buy two front loaders whenever it goes, and we're going to have to repaint the room because the room needed to be painted, but you meant taking out the appliances. So now that the appliances are out, so Tim's weekend turned into paint. But anyway, yeah, we got to talking about it. We have bought one washer in 37 years until Friday when we bought a washer and a dryer. Wow. Sounds like an exciting marriage. <laughs> it's kind of, yes, sounds it's like so you, exciting. Sounds like that y'all have done a lot to get excited about a washer and dryer. I'm just, I'm being really kind of a smart aleck. It's, I don't know. I have a washer and dryer in this house that I bought um, four years ago, almost three and a half, four years ago, uh, for 200 bucks for the pair. Yeah. And they still work fine. Yeah. And um, I would like the front loaders, though, because I I, um, I like the capacity. and So we're a history of the eyes of faith. We like to talk about washer and dryers. You asked me other, an antidote no, for the last few just, days. That was I, it. That was the highlight. Last few days. Uh, for me, the highlight, the last few days, I have been moving. And I don't know if I can think of what a highlight could be. Maybe... The fact that my new space has two large closets. And well, as yeah. exciting as this may be, I don't know if it can top a new washer and dryer, <laughs> but I put clothes into the new closets and I'm very happy with the yes, space. That's great. Happy with the two space. New closets. That There's, is great. Oh, I did find, yeah, that furniture was a highlight that I bought. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a transitional time, and I'm try I'm looking forward to uh, something super exciting, whatever that is. I don't know what it's going to be, but there's there's good things happening. Yeah, I'm going to have a busy week. Um, so yeah, yeah, busy week. So we're moving into history through the eyes of faith, episode twenty one. We're in twenty two. Re- we were, yeah, we were in, in twenty one. Quick recap: we talked a lot about Cleopatra. And her relationship with uh, Julius Caesar, and then her relationship with Mark Antony, and then, uh, and then dying, committing suicide, and then Octavian becoming Caesar Augustus. Yeah, he's not yet, but we ended well, uh, it with. Well, I said that's where we would start. Okay. We got to explain how that happens. Okay. Okay. So, remember, Rome is still technically a republic. And in their roots, they are hesitant to be under a king. But they have expanded and grown and conquered and are living off of the plunder of conquering in other places to the point that now the war hero, the warrior, the um, strong man is what it takes to have prestige in Rome, thus... Pompey, we named several, and Julius Caesar being one, and now Octavian. But tech, uh, yes, but technically, there's still a republic. There's not an emperor. So, what, when you say republic, is there like a leader? Well, we went back over kind of roughly what the government looked like several episodes ago. They elected a consul. A consul, there was there were people that were elected to office. The consul ran the country, C-O-N-S-U-L, for two years at a time, would be 
could be, you know, elected. There were magistrates that made administrative decisions, suggested legislation. There was the Senate who voted legislation into law. Only members of certain families, the ruling families, could be members of the Senate. There was so it was a that was all set up at the birth of the republic way back in 500 but then at 500 BC or 509 whatever the date was but then as they became more and more a warring country and and being a member of the military was no longer possible to just go fight a battle and come back to your farm it was becoming more and more a full-time job so they started hiring people to be in well then those plebeians who didn't have a a prestigious position in society could now say, well, hey, if you need me to fight in the military, then you should give me a vote, you know, and they could bargain for more place in in the government. Which sounds a little bit like organized crime. <laughs> you got the boss, you got the soldiers, you got the, uh, I can't remember, people that know all that could could tell me the names, the, the, the different titles of positions and then you would basically buy your way in or you would become made. I imagine that was modeled off of Rome be, rather yeah. than Rome being modeled off of that. Hey, it's no, Italian, right? Like, right. Yeah, there you go. Back in the old country. Yeah. So anyway, that's all changing. And so it's not working to have somebody that's only elected and changing leadership all the time. And, and as Tim said two episodes ago, some of these magistrates and senators and consuls would maybe just make up some days and months so they could serve longer or yeah. get somebody else yeah. out. And yeah. Julius Caesar's like, hold on, let's get let's get the calendar so right. So he puts that calendar right, yeah. So now Octavian has conquered Egypt and he's got secured all the land all the way around the Mediterranean. And remember he's a smart guy and he knows how to work politics and he knows how to sell people on an idea. So let me just, um, so drawing on his, his, this is coming, I think this quote is from the Silk Roads book. He says, drawing on Octavian's skill at manipulating images, he cloaked his power in innocuous, innocuous seeming titles, titles that didn't seem important and accrued to himself the powers of the main offices of the Roman state while cleverly refusing to hold the offices himself. So he was rec- he was accruing those powers to the position of consul, leader, emperor, even though he wasn't called an emperor, but then being very clever, saying, well, you hold the office, or you hold the-. but technically the power was his. Sounds like a little bit like Frank Underwood of, uh, of uh, House of Cards. There's so many, see, here's yes, my here problem. Yeah. I'm hearing, I'm, I'm listening to this. Last episode, episode before, several episodes throughout the, the first 21. And I hear these stories, and I'm like, Game of Thrones. So House why do you cards, think that's the case? Sopranos. So, so this is the question I like to ask. Why is there those similarities? What what? Because this is the real, this is how it came to be. In my opinion, th- this it, was first. Yeah, and it maybe it reflects how human nature, the direction that human nature moves in. Manipulating, uh, I... I have heard said and have agreed with others as we spoke that given the option, people will usually do what's in their best self-interest. Of course. Yeah. And so that's how it's playing out. So sometimes the stories end up looking similar, right? And what you have said in other conversations, you said, and give you just quoted somebody of saying, and given the choice, people will do what's in their best self-interest or in their sinful nature, Yeah, in their human nature. Yeah, our human nature is to do what's best for me first. Yeah. Or us or mine or however. So the stories end up alike. So anyway, he's accruing these powers but yet refusing to hold the office himself. So therefore the the Romans were lulled into a false belief that the Republic actually lived on, where in reality it was dead. And Octavian, under the new name of Augustus, got the Senate to vote and approve that approve that he was the first Roman emperor. So whereas Julius tried to take the emperorship and got assassinated because of it, like he was killed by two senators because of, they didn't want to see the Republic die and he needed to be out of the way. Augustus, Octavian, persuades them and is able to make the political maneuvers where the Senate actually elects him emperor. So this sounds all. This sounds like Star Wars. I mean, it sounds like there's so many storylines. Yes. Now, and and listeners to this podcast, 
are probably now concerned about Frank and his obsession with uh, episodic television and film. But, you know, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, when they've got the senators and they're trying to vote and, yeah. and maneuver it and yeah. make somebody the emperor. I can and then just you've see got them this, in their little floating pods. Yeah. And you've got Queen that's trying to change it. And then she's... You know, and yeah, and then in Frank Underwood and House of Cards, how he's positioning people to be Secretary of State so that he can be the puppet master behind him, where he's setting somebody up to be Vice President so that he can expose them for this thing and get them and get them. And then now all of a sudden he's, it's yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like the other studio is doing something today. Yeah, it sounds like a little bit. Um, so instead of flaunting his military power or ruling like a dictator or Octavian made a show of offering to return all his powers and authority to the Senate. In 27 BC, he offered to do that. Even those who opposed him realized that without Octavian, the state would descend into anarchy. They needed his leadership. Therefore, Octavian was confirmed in power and awarded a number of honorific titles. Among these titles, Augustus became the communist. So that's where we get Caesar Augustus. Yeah. That is Octavian. I'm going to go back and read a quote um, in this Silk Roads that, that refers to Cleopatra, Egypt, Octavian, Augustus. It says, Rome had long cast a greedy eye over Egypt. They wanted Egypt. It seized its chance when Cleopatra became embroiled in a messy struggle for political mastery after the assassination of Julius Caesar, after fatally throwing in her lot with Mark Antony at the Battle of Actium, which we've talked about. The Egyptian ruler was soon faced with a Roman army led by Octavius, a master of political cunning, bearing down on Alexandria. Following a series of defensive decisions that combined profound negligence with gross incompetence, Cleopatra committed suicide either as the result of a poisonous snake bite or perhaps by a self-administered toxin. We don't know how. Egypt fell like a ripe fruit. Octavius had left Rome as it... So this is the sentence. This is the part I wanted to get up, get to in that set, setup. Octavius had left Rome as a general. He returned as its supreme ruler. So it was really that move of acquiring Egypt, getting rid of Mark Antony, getting rid of Cleopatra that secured his position to the point that he was able to make these political moves and the other senators were willing to recognize that they needed him to keep anarchy from happening. So now Are there any sculptures of Caesar Augustus? Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, I guess that was a dumb question. I'd like to see them. Yeah, that'd be, well, um, remind me and I'll bring some in. I have some books and pictures and all that well, kind of stuff. Well, I bet the internet I bet the internet too. does too. But, I mean, I'm not going to look at that right now. Yeah. I'm actually going to. Actually, I think you're going to find that he was on coins and you've seen it before and not realize that's who you were looking at. Hmm. I thought it was John F. Kennedy. That too. Um Augustus's settlement of the Roman state and his establishment of the position of emperor would, check this out, would form the system of government for the next 500 years. Even beyond that, he and the empire would continue to exert a powerful influence as role models for a long line of future leaders. So he became, yes, for sure. So I have a picture here um, of a map of Rome at its greatest, the Roman Empire's at its greatest extent. Now, this was happening like Augustus coming to throne, being made emperor. That was like 27 BC. That okay? This this map is of 117 AD. So Rome grows a little bit more between, but this was Rome at its greatest. And I'll I'll show you here. It's virtually everything on this map of the Mediterranean that we have. So. The island of Britain is included. Hmm. Uh, here, it looks like the line was about here, something like this. Going across the north, it cuts through Germany, includes France, Spain, uh, Morocco, northern Africa, Egypt, all the way around the coast, all the way around the water. They had every bit of the land surrounding the Mediterranean, and they had that Bosphorus Strait that we talked about, all of what is now Turkey into some of Iraq and Iran, including uh, most of the Ukraine and all of these uh, 
Stan countries down in here. Stan countries. Yeah, you know, like, well, that's Romania, Hungary. Sorry, I was in the wrong place. Uh, Romania, Hungary. Uh, Siberia, I yeah. Croatia. Yeah, all of that. So most of Europe, almost, well, all of Europe and part of Asia. Yeah, and part of northern South America. So that's it at the greatest extent, and I'll put that. No, northern, northern Africa. Yes. I will put that up on our Instagram feed. So that yeah. we can see that. So, big deal. Caesar Augustus. All right, so now I have a question. Yes. I think of Rome. I think of the Colosseum. Uh-huh. When, and this may not be applied to history through the eyes of faith, but the Colosseum in its splendor with the events in the Colosseum, whether it be gladiators or whatever it may be, when was that happening? I think that um, I don't know the exact answer to that, and it does come up in part two. As we move into the time of Jesus, we do a little section on what Rome was like. So it was all through there, definitely from this point forward. Okay, and how much before that, I don't know. But we'll talk about the Roman Forum, and which is the area that has been um, excavated and still exists in Rome, where the um, emperors had different temples and where it was the place where they did their business. And the Colosseum is not too far from there. But all of ancient Rome, I encourage you to go because it's all still there. Yeah. You know, a you funny thing see- happened on the way to the Forum. Um, that's a musical, yes. ladies and gentlemen, starring Nathan Lane at one point. There's some probably a lot of people starting. Yeah, out. so so we have a little section on Rome and what life in Rome was like during the Empire times, in the next section of history through the eyes of faith. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to read a little bit more, or some of it's my notes and some of it's reading from this book, The Silk Roads, and the, what The Silk Roads is focusing on is sort of the economics more than anything else and particularly tying the east into the economics like what did china Mm -hmm. have to do with it what did persia have to do with it so something i'm going to say now before we get into this because it'll help us understand what we're reading or hearing is you know alexander had those generals and that took different positions different parts of the land and we've been talking a lot about the Seleucids and how they were in Syria and then we were talking about the Ptolemies were down in Egypt I don't remember which name or how it came about but the area of Persia which is east up which is what we would now call the area of Iraq Iran and going over in that direction grew as a consolidated area it was not the same Persian empire that existed before Alexander conquered it but as these as his territory was divided, Persia once more became an important place in the world, a trading place. And and what's, if you look at it geographically, it's between what we now call the Middle East or that eastern shore of the Mediterranean, which Rome controlled, and China. It's the piece in between. So that's going to come into this story hmm. of what I'm reading now. So the capture of Egypt transformed Rome's fortunes. This surging wealth was the result of Rome's ruthless expropriation of Egypt's tax revenues and of its enormous resources. Teams of tax inspectors fanned out across Egypt to impose a new poll tax. So Egypt was a wealthy place, so they started taxing everybody. Payable by all men aged between 16 and 60. Any man between 16 and 60 had to pay taxes. Mm. Exemptions were granted only in a few special cases, for example, to priests who were able to avoid having to pay, but only after their names had been recorded carefully in temple registries. So you just couldn't say you were a priest. This was part of a system that one scholar has termed ancient apartheid. Its aim was to maximize the flow of money back to Rome. Mm. Okay. Um, it's interesting to think about that because I can imagine it today. I can imagine today taxes 16 to 60, you know, fanning out, covering this land, you know, the money flowing back to grow Rome. But to, but with zero technology, with limited ways to, of transportation, it's hard for me to imagine how that was enforced 
that well there long were ago. Roman soldiers in all these places like and I think that if you read the New Testament you see the evidence of that like yeah, yeah, like it, it just any seems... place that was a province of Rome had a military force there that was enforcing the emperor's will and they had governors that were appointed over the areas and all that kind of thing so here's a little kind of about taxes we have a little bit of of if you're if you've read the Bible or heard a lot of the Bible stories, you have a little bit of experience of Roman taxation in, in reading that. So the process of appropriating revenues was repeated elsewhere as the tentacles of Roman economic and military expansion extended further. So, hey, let's just don't do it in Egypt. Let's go. Not long after the annexation of Egypt, assessors, tax assessors, were sent to Judea. Remember, Judea is the home of Jerusalem, conduct, to conduct a census once again so as to ensure that taxes could be calculated accurately. So you do a census so you can make sure you're doing accurate taxes. That's just sounding very familiar. Assuming the same model was used as had been used in Egypt, which required all births and deaths to be recorded as well as the names of all adult males, the arrival in the world of Jesus Christ would have been registered by an official whose interests lay less in who the infant and his parents were and more in what the birth represented by way of additional manpower and a future taxpayer for the empire. Because the, the yeah. Gospels, the, as we talk about when we get there, they open with Joseph and Mary on their way to his hometown for the census. Mm -hmm. And the census was for the purpose of taxation. Yeah. So it's kind of cool Yeah, the, to relate that. Augustus himself made a concerted effort to understand what lay beyond the new frontiers in the east. He wanted to understand. So now now we're thinking about he's going to Judea, and he's, he's sending people there for taxation, and he wants to understand what's east of there, what's east of there, beyond where Rome currently was. Expeditionary forces worked... Uh, were sent to the kingdom of Aksum in modern Ethiopia and to the Sabaean kingdom of Yemen uh, while the Gulf of Aquaba was being explored even uh, as Roman rule in Egypt was still being cemented. So even as they're just getting everything firm in Egypt, they're sitting, sending expeditions out to find out more about, about what's out and there. And this is in the, the book Silk Roads, mm -hmm. R-O-A-D-S. Uh-huh. And who's it by? Peter Frankopan. Okay. And what is his, and I'm, I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, or, or off the subject, but what is his goal in this book? History that we're, we've been taught, people in the Western world, is Western civilization history. His thought was, as we've seen in what we've been talking about, is it started in the East. So what was happening in the East? So he's telling the story of history from the perspective of Persia, China, India, like making sure he pulls in all those Eastern things. And really, it ends up being a lot about economics because that's what, uh, in my lingo, drives the bus. And so so that's you could say Western name. civilization was driven by economics, but in reality, Eastern civilization was driven by economics. Yes, and that's he's trying to make that point. Like, I, I think his premise is that that part of the story has been left out. Yeah. Which is why I picked up the book and read it, okay? Yeah. Everything we've been talking about, as we've pointed out, happened in the East. Like, maybe Rome's in the West, but up until we got to Rome, our whole story was considered in the East because we're talking about the Middle East, and we were talking about... Yeah, I guess they would consider Rome being in the West. Yeah. But That's not kind of, far. Yeah, not it, it depends on where you start, right? It's kind of interesting. Like if you go back to that Babylon, middle of Iran, what's West and what's East and what's... Yeah, anyway. Okay, so in 1 BC, Augustus ordered a detailed survey to be conducted of both sides of the Persian Gulf to report on trade in this region and to record how the sea lanes linked with the Red Sea. He also oversaw the investigation of the land routes heading deep into Central Asia through Persia and, um, and, and saw that they were produced around this time. It recorded, he recorded distances between key points in the east 
and carefully set out the most important locations from the Euphrates up to Alexandropolis, which is Kandahar. Kandahar. Afghanistan today in the east. So he was interested in these trade routes and trying to understand what was going on, what was out there. The horizons of traders expanded substantially. The horizons of traders expanded substantially. That's the point we're getting to. According to the historian Strabo, within a few years of the occupation of Egypt, 120 Roman boats were sailing for India each year from the ports on the Red Sea commercial exchange. Commercial exchange with India did not open up so much as explode. I see. Take the pointer and show me over there. Um, um, not there, but on the map to the right, where um, Jerusalem is, where Israel is. Uh, I can't quite get down there. It's down, see? It's at the bottom right in there. Okay, all right. So on the world map, mm -hmm. it, it's... Um, see, there's the Mediterranean Sea. Mm -hmm. It's on the eastern coast. It's right there. Here's India. Yeah. Um, I've got a smaller version of it here. We'll point to it on there. Israel. This is not great for a podcast. But. Israel's right here. Okay. Israel's and the eastern me. border of the Mediterranean Sea. Okay. And okay. then how far from there is uh, Iraq? Iraq is here. Okay. No, that's right. Iran. Iraq is here. Okay. This is Iran. And then what's the next country? A Afghanistan and Pakistan. Okay. On top of each other. And India is the one And then to the India right. is the, it's called the subcontinent of India. Okay. Large. On this map, it's green. There's Nepal, and this is China. Yeah. Okay, so you can see how this area, which I'm circling folks like Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, becomes the important connector between the Mediterranean and the East. And China. And that's referred to as Persia. Okay. Like today, if you talk about somebody, they're Persian, where would you think they were from? Do you know where that's referring to? It's usually referring to Iraq or Iran. Okay. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's Iran, but that's the the roots of that ethnicity is in that area, is referred to as Persian. Okay? Mm -hmm. So the trade routes are exploding. What goods the Romans wanted from Western India uh, was was kept up with and they could they could get minerals tin copper lead topaz ivory gemstones spices were all available trade with ports in india was not however limited to products that originated there because the people in india are then trading with the people to the east of them which is china okay so Rome's well, Rome citizens were now able to indulge the most exotic and extravagant of tastes. They had all this money, all this stuff coming in, and they could purchase all these things. Well-connected commentators complained that spending bordered on the obscene and bemoaned the voguish displays of ex excess. And there was one commodity in particular that seemed particularly excessive, and that was Chinese silk. Hmm. So silk is making it what its way into Rome, and silk is coming from China. Mm. And so you think about this whole trade network, okay, that's going through that middle section to get all of this back and forth. Others, though, were concerned about the pre prevalence of silk for different reasons, not for it being opulent. Writing in the second half of the first century A.D., Pliny the Elder, that's this guy's name, Pliny the Elder, resented the high cost of the luxury material simply to enable the Roman lady to shimmer in public. Mm, how scandalous. It was. The inflated prices were a scandal, he moaned, a hundred times the real cost. Huge amounts of money were being spent annually, he continued, on luxuries for us and our women from Asia. With as much as a hundred million sesterzies per year being pumped out of the Roman economy and into trade markets beyond the frontier. Okay, this that sum doesn't mean anything to us, and I don't have a translation of it, but here's the point. It represented nearly half of the annual output of the empire. That amount mm. that was leaving was mm. half, and more than 10% of its annual budget. So half of what the mint in the empire made 
and 10% of its annual budget. But remarkably, it, that wasn't an exaggeration. That seemed to really be the case. Um, so tell me why we're getting into the economics of this. Because when you're trading, just like you were just telling me about buying things on Facebook. When you do I was. The, I think you were. Was that on record? Was no, it wasn't on record. Oh, so it was you're all, now exposing that? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. When you're doing Facebook Marketplace or eBay or particularly the ones where you have to go pick something up that are local, you're mm -hmm. meeting somebody. Yeah. You're exchanging ideas. You're exchanging comments. You're meeting new people. Right. So trade is not just the trade of products, but I'm wanting to show the trade lines that these people are becoming connected. They're sharing things back and forth. And as new products come into our environment, like, for instance, Indian spices, your food's going to taste different. Things are going to yeah. change. Yeah, well, I want to see the connection of this to the, to the next thing. I'm, not the, there's, I'm just trying to connect the dots. We're getting into more people, more connections, more relationships through trade, through economics. And it's going to be more trading of ideas. And we'll, okay. we'll get there. Okay. Okay. Because that's, that's the point, laying that out to see that those things are being traded. Um, and they were, trading, they were trading items, not just coins. Okay. So whatever form it took, the outflow of capital on this kind of scale had far-reaching consequences. One was a strengthening of local economies along the trade routes. So the lifestyle of all these people... In between is changing too because more money's coming in. Villages turned into towns and towns turned into cities. As businesses flourished and communication and commercial networks extended and became ever more connected, cities on the north-south axis like likewise were transformed. So it wasn't just the east-west but also the north-south um, that were transformed. And there were fairs that drew in traders from hundreds if not thousands of miles away at convenient crossroads road points so rome having all this money to spend then creates this whole marketplace across the middle east across persia and into china mm -hmm. china has now secured this area remember we talked about that geographically so that they can trade they can now safely travel without being uh plundered by these tribes and so it's right. it's it's a new world yeah we have this we have this empire that spreads all the way across almost the known world with roads and transportation and armies and then we have all this product and money moving back and forth um This is interesting. Although the goods were imported and exported from the Mediterranean into China in growing quantities, the Chinese themselves played little role in trade with Rome via the Indian Ocean. So it wasn't the Chinese. They weren't dealing with Rome. They were dealing with Persia. Their dealings with Persia became regular and intensive. Embassies were sent several times a year um, to deal with the Chinese and vice from the Chinese to the Persians. Just as the Chinese had few direct dealings with Rome, the Mediterranean region's knowledge of the world beyond the Himalayas and the Indian Ocean was limited. So it's these people in the middle that are seeing both. But what we're realizing is Rome is not seeing China and China's not seeing Rome. Yeah. It's, that, it's those people in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, and that plays out as we move forward in history, like another 500 years or 300 years or 700 years that starts, we start seeing the impact and the consequences of that. Um, so Rome's interest and knowledge of the Far East was fleeting, but its eyes were firmly fixed on Persia. Right. It was not just a rival and a competitor, but a possible target in its own right. Even as control was still being established over Egypt, at that time, as early as that, authors like Virgil and Proparitus were talking excitedly of Roman influence being expanded. So I put that section in there to say, yes, we talk about here's what's happening over in China, but it's not, I wanted to see it's not isolated. Because mm -hmm. of that accomplishment of the Chinese of securing that area and being able then to create what becomes the Silk Road, and because of Rome being able to capture Egypt and bring all of this new money in and then start trading that money back and forth 
and those products back and forth across Persia, we've created a, a global economy. Yeah. And do you, because what I'm starting to gather, and, and we're going to get to that in a second. What I'm starting to gather, as we've done 22 episodes, my brain is starting to put together... You know, when I think of my faith and I think of Christianity and I think of Christ and what he said, his teachings, and, you know, that's who, as Christians, we follow. We follow his teachings. We follow the scriptures. But then, you know, he refers to the Old Testament. So we read the Old Testament. We, we've learned about creation and through the Old Testament. And here we are up to Christ becoming part two of this content. Um I am mentally able to see this picture. And I guess I was leading this with a question to you is because you have in your brain parts one, two, and three, and four, when you're thinking about part four, do you go back to the end of part one and you're like, okay, this commerce going from Rome over to China you know, China is a big part of 2020, 2021, 20, 2019. You know, China, I'm not trying to get to the whole coronavirus thing. I'm just talking about trade and, 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 yes. and, um, you know, global economy. And it's still a global economy. It's just much more intricate because of technology. But, um, so is your brain like always like you see the whole picture? I'm trying to. Yes, I do. I mean, that's how this came about. That's how this thing came about because I connect things. I see things connected. And so, like, if I look at an event in 1500 and they say this happened, I want to know what happened before that that brought that about. Well, okay, but what happened before that? But what happened before? So so we're starting with creation. So that's so, getting me excited about. So my hope as we move forward is you've got a frame of reference. And like if you just started listening to our podcast at 14 or 15 or 16, you haven't gone back. We know now that part that episode two through episode 13, more or less, covers the Old Testament. In episode 14 at the beginning, we did a little review that kind of retold the story to that point. And then we started moving to this inner in between the Testament period, which we'll finish up soon if not 23 then 24 but what we'll finish up mm. soon and and so you can jump in or you can go back and grab because we're going to refer back and you can go back and look so wherever mm. you join us we'll be oh yeah i think i've forgotten more than we've we've done i think that <laughs> i'm in it when we're recording it yeah. and then now when i go back and go okay Cain and Abel. All right. So then we got okay. well, Joseph and then wait, Joseph. No. Yeah. Then we got so David our review is going to, so, so if, if we're getting close to stopping 22, which is what I'm feeling, or at yeah. least the content part of it, yeah. then 23, we're going to start off with a review. Okay. No, and, no, no. I'm and, not saying so, it's negative I, that I've no, forgotten. No. It's just, there's a lot of players. There are. And so I mean, once again, season seven of Game of Thrones, you're not going to maybe know who Ned yeah. Stark was. But see, I'm a visual person. It's like, I need to see things to remind me, thus the flashcards. Mm -hmm. So like I can lay those out and go, whoop, here we go. And it is quite fun to do that. And I, maybe we should make that an incentive that we'll have a, we'll, we'll do a podcast where we do the flashcards. Maybe we'll even record it. Mm, like record you, it with video, video, video it, video <laughs> Here, here's it. Here's an idea for our podcast. Let's, Let's record, record it. it. <laughs> um, <laughs> do a video All recording we and recording. maybe have some guests in. And because it's quite fun um, to do that. But anyway, yeah. All right. So, so yeah, I am, Kevin. I'm looking at the whole thing. Uh, Kevin. Kevin. How is Kevin tying into this episode? Well, Kevin, as you know, do you, do you know a little bit about that Kevin travels? Did you? Okay. So if you didn't listen to episode 21, in 22, we're talking right now about, well, at the beginning of this episode, we named him Kevin because she brought a bag in, in 21 and there's something in the bag. And I guessed what it is because she said it had a name and I know who Kevin is from visiting her house. I've seen Kevin and I am aware that Kevin has traveled. He went across the country with you and Tim in a van. Yeah. Um, and and so were, now, so now Wes knows what it is. And, and I've seen Kevin at your house. 
I don't know if I remember the origin of Kevin, how you got Kevin. Yeah. Um, so maybe we should unwrap him and you can describe him. Sure. That's a good idea. You want me to take the, so I'll take the top brown yeah, bag uh, off. Uh, take the top. It's a lamp. It's a lamp. The top of the lamp without a, with, it's You're a shaking lamp. your head. Is this not what you thought? He doesn't know. No, he does know. It's a lamp. Wait, don't take the rest out. The top of the bag is showing. You see a, a light bulb in the casing that a lampshade would go on. So there's no lampshade. Just that arch around the top of the light bulb. And on top of that is a little emblem like you'd see on the front of a car. But it's a looks like a, a... Is that a horse? I think it's a ram. It's a ram. Yeah, it's a ram. It's got horns on it. Okay. And she's now pulled out a cowboy hat. And she has set it on the lamp as if that's the lampshade. It's more of a... That's the way Kevin travels. That's not necessarily a cowboy hat. It is a cowboy style hat. It's made out of straw. But it's a straw more like a beach. Kind of a Kevin... Uh, a Kenny... <laughs> Kevin Chesney. That's his last name. His name is Kevin Chesney. It looks like a Kenny Chesney beach hat. It's Kevin Chesney, folks. It is the hat is a straw cowboy hat that I got. A Kenny Chesney beach hat. It's a I, Kevin Chesney. Yeah, I got it out in Idaho on a trip. Mm-hmm. And so I wear it sometimes when I'm yeah. traveling out west. And so I uh-huh. we discovered it looks good on Kevin. All right. So Kevin is a lamp with a it's Kevin Chesney. All right, let's take the rest out of the bag. It's heavy. She even put, like, tissue paper on it. Well, I thought it was going to be a little more oh, secretive. Okay, here we go. Now, <laughs> the base of this lamp is basically the ankle, foot, and hoof <laughs> of some sort of animal that's probably an antelope or a deer or no, an elk. Caribou. Caribou. A big old caribou. A big caribou. So this is a caribou because foot. Because his ankle is like, what is that, like 18, 20 inches tall? 18 inches, 12? 12? Yeah, let me hold Kevin Chesney. It's very heavy. Foot on a on a wood, mounted on a piece of wood. It's taxidermy right here, y'all. It's not fake. It's the real thing. All right, I'm holding Kevin Chesney. <laughs> I'm not going to call him Kevin Chesney. <laughs> and this is a... Wes is just looking. An He's just ankle. Do you, do you ankle remember it? and a hoof. Wes doesn't remember it. An ankle and a hoof of a caribou made into a lamp. With so like a you ram go on top of it. And, and, and a and hat. The rest of Kevin was an animal that Does lived this in... lamp work? Yes. That lived in British Columbia... In the 70s. Well, he lived there before the 70s, but he was shot and killed in the 70s. This caribou? Yes. and so, In Canada? Yes. So he was turned into taxidermy. How do you know this? Because I know the guy who killed it. That's who we got it from. Did he raise the, the caribou? No, he was hunting in British Columbia in the okay. 70s. Uh, okay. Shot a caribou. Okay. They took the head. They ate the meat. They took the head and turned it into something hanging on the wall. Does, have you seen the head? Yeah, but I don't. I didn't know it was Kevin when I saw it. It was a long time ago. And where was where does he live now? I, they well, they got. I don't know. I don't know if somebody still has his head. No, where does the people live? They're here she, in in Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, we were actually. Can I go to their house and see Kevin's head? No, I, they didn't keep all of it. Okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> they, um, I don't know if I should say their names, but it was a family and the. What the father, okay, how, yeah, but we know four generations of this family, okay? Do I know this family? Yes. So the first generation of the family, the oldest of the family, was the hunter. And then he grew up taking his son uh-huh. hunting, okay? So he and his son were on this, I think I've got this right, when they went to Africa, they went all over the world, okay? Shot and killed the caribou. <laughs> okay. But their office, they had a, a office for their business here in Tennessee, and their office was full of taxidermy of these animals from all over the world. Where they would go game hike, big game hunting. Yes, and so mm-hmm. then the the son is our friend, mm-hmm. and he has transitioned from game hunting in the last 20, 30, 40 years, I don't know what, to photography. So he still goes on safaris or mm-hmm. goes places, but he goes to take hey, pictures. Hey, listeners that are anti 
big yes. game hunting. Yes. He's not doing it anymore. No. He's he's taking pictures of them. Yes. Because he feels like that's a better way to bring them back than making them into a lamp. So, but there was so much taxidermy that as the office was sold, as people passed on, is like, what do you do with all this stuff? So they're giving mm -hmm. away, they're selling it, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I go over to my friend's house one day, a couple, two, three years ago, whenever, and this lamp that didn't have a name was mm -hmm. sitting in her house. And we were there for a Bible study, and I was like, what's going to happen to the lamp? Like, she was going, no more things are coming to my house. We have our limit. we got to get rid of it. And I'm like, well, we're fixing to go out west, mm. so I'll take him with me. Mm. We're going to go to Montana. They have stuff like that out there. We can give it away. I didn't say him. It wasn't it. I'll take it with me. So... She said, well, nothing. so anyway, nothing happened that day. But then a few weeks later, Tim came <laughs> home with it. He met the guy that day. They were doing a study together. And the guy said, here, my wife said that your wife would take this and like mm -hmm. we're going to throw it over the fence. And so it comes home. So it comes in our house. And, and uh, I'm getting very detailed. I'm sorry, but it's funny. Our daughter, Sarah, was uh, working out of Nashville that week. So she was at our house that week. Mm-hmm. And it comes in one morning or night and sits down in the foyer of our house. And Sarah gets up the next morning to work when nobody else is moving around yet. And she walks through and sees the lamp sitting there. And she goes, she takes a picture of it, sends it to some of her friends and says, I'm pretty sure this wasn't here last night. You know, mm. it was like making a uh -oh. joke. Don't. Yeah, it's not going to work. Okay. No, you said, I'm pretty sure it wasn't here last night. Right. That's why so I it, said, uh-oh. Yeah. So it had come in the next morning. Yeah. So then, like, the next day, so they're laughing about that, and like, what's going on? Sarah doesn't know how it got there. So then the next day, it's sitting up on the table where she, when she gets up the next morning, I have moved it out of the floor and have set it up on the table because we're getting ready to leave to go out west like that. We're getting ready to leave to go out west in the next week or so. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just sitting there until we go. So she thinks this thing's moving on its own. Well, I don't know, but she's sitting there beside it, and, and she's like... So she once again takes a picture and decides to mm -hmm. send it to Snapchat her friends and says, "I've decided to name it Kevin." Yeah, and it's, it's and it's moving around my house. Yeah, so that gets to be a joke because its name is now Kevin. Sarah gave it the name Kevin. Well, then my sister in law was in town later that week, and she and we were talking about our trip. We're everybody's like, "What is that?" And I'm like, "Caribou leg," and I'm like, "Now its name is Kevin." And she's like, oh, well, you should do like the gnome thing, you know, like where it's uh, this? Is my sister-in-law, my brother, my brother-in-law's wife. My brother's, yes, my brother-in-law's wife. Okay. And so, um, so she's like, well, you should do like the gnome thing, you know, like where you take it and take a picture. So we decided to take Kevin with us on our trip out west. And on that trip, we ended up going all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And so we took him and he got, and so he has a hashtag. If you want to go on Instagram and mm -hmm. look for hashtag or, or wherever on the internet, cruising with Kevin the caribou. And you can see yeah. all of his travels. No. So... Uh, as it was, I didn't leave him out west because by the time we got out there, we were attached and we wanted pictures with him all the way back. Mm -hmm. And then he has come to have a spot on our uh, sun porch and he has a like red bow and poinsettia he wears at Christmas and he gets decorated and everybody and, and you, comes. And you brought it today just for I brought it today because on Saturday, yeah, on Sunday of this week, we're leaving to go. Back to the west. We're going all the way to the Pacific. We're driving in our van, and Kevin's going with us. Oh, my gosh. We're starting over. So when you hear this, yeah, I think this episode will be released the week that we're coming back. We'll be on our way back across the country. So mm -hmm. check out Cruising with Kevin the Caribou, and you can see where we've been and where we've going and hmm. all of our deals. And so then the other piece that I haven't told you that I've been saving for the podcast is we're going to be sleeping in our van. Down by the river? Wherever. I bought, I've got mattresses. I got curtains. What about bathrooms? We're, gonna, we're taking care of that too. Well, if you go to campground, they got bathrooms. Like, so we might or not, not uh, be at a so camp. I'm, I don't know about this. <laughs> yep. So we're trying the van camping, folks. Shoot me some comments on how you like your van camping. And by the way, the van is not a <laughs> custom van. No, this is a, this it's a is minivan. A, it's a Honda Odyssey, folks. Which has a lot of room in the back, and the mattresses fit. I'm not saying that it won't work, but we're going to sleep in the van. It's not like 
a van like the seventies. <laughs> um, and so, it's Kevin Chesney, as far as I'm concerned. I can understand. So what Frank has done, he has taken the little. He has now secured the cowboy secured hat, the hat on the top the with lamp. the ram on top of because it. Because you unscrew the ram if you're going to put a shade on it. So the cowboy hat, like it's straw, so there's enough holes in it that I could just, without damaging the That's a good hat, look. Yeah. I can it took, the, we were almost all the way home. We were in Nebraska <clears> on the way back before we realized that the hat needed to be what he wore for pictures. Because until, <laughs> until then, he either didn't have a shade or he had the regular shade on it. It just looks silly. But you can go see. Hashtag cruising with Kevin the Caribou. Please give us a shout out if you look at now, this. I, I, I am having a hard time not, because through your story, I figured out who the family is that you got this from and that's that makes the story better because well, just because you figured people, out who it is well just because people would know who the family is they could yeah they could and so i don't know if i need to yeah you don't need to say it yeah but but that's what for me makes it better yeah what was really fun was we were at their 50th wedding anniversary party dinner and dance this week oh really and i ended up talking to somebody that was there about kevin and we were totally we were talking about driving out west. They just got back from a trip out west, and I was going, oh, well, you should have seen our trip, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, yeah. And then I went, oh, my gosh, because it came from them. Like, I hadn't connected that. And I'm sitting there yeah. at their party telling the story. And so it was really fun. So, yeah, um, I am not the outdoorsy type. So we'll see how this goes. Gosh, we're I can't pick, wait to hear about it. We're picking it. out some campgrounds. And then, have you already scheduled your therapist sessions for when you get back? <laughs> Okay, so here's a great story. No, we haven't. But that could very well be what happens. I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard of Gary Smalley, but he's a guy in the Christian community that does a lot of... Mars and Venus. Counseling and all this kind of stuff. He does the five love languages, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, back in the 80s or something, when when we were newlyweds or whatever, he was he had a series that I think they did at our church or something, and he said... if. Every family needs to go camping. Every couple needs to go camping because that's what draws you together because almost always something awful happens and the way you deal with it is what what makes your relationship better. So, yeah, mm -hmm. we'll see. We'll see. Wow. Exciting. We got a couple, maybe one or two more episodes we'll record before we actually hit the road, but I, I thought Kevin yeah. was appropriate for today. I appreciate you bringing some show and tell. And I see some Christmas glitter around his bottom of his hoof, I think. Yeah. Yeah, his little, his Christmas ribbon has some little glitter on it, so it's come off of there. I'm just going to say, too, I don't like the lamp. <laughs> I think it's kind of ridiculous. It is very ridiculous. I mean, if you remember a Christmas story, the leg lamp. <laughs> yeah, we got one of those at our house, too. Picture that, <laughs> but, but it's a lot a worse. <laughs> but instead of a woman's leg in fishnet stocking it's a caribou leg and it's not even a leg you're right it's it just, just like goes that up ankle. to the ankle it's huge though and then all of a sudden light bulb <laughs> and a lampshade and it's so fun it's so funny that you would think that that would stand out in a room like but you don't know how many people have been in our house they've been sitting on our back sun porch we've been sitting there talking and they look over well, you know, and realize just, that there is a hoof right beside their I'm gonna have coffee that lemonade. cup what the heck <laughs> huh. A, and they go, what is that? And that's I, a horse foot. What is that? <laughs> and I say, what is it? And I say, it's Kevin. That's Kevin. I ain't no horse, but I, what is that? That's a big And deal. then they pull out their phones and look up cruising with Kevin the caribou, and you see all of his mm. pictures. Yeah, well, we're hoping to get some good ones this time. I'm excited about where we are in the in the history, though. We're, we're like too. right up to the, the census and, and Caesar Augustus and... You know, whatever. It's so season. why is that exciting? I mean, I agree. I'm excited too. Well, but because I have grown up in the church, the Christmas story, Christmas time. Um, I wish we were we were recording this around Christmas time. Um, just the nostalgia of it, um, and also painting a picture. Like I am now feeling like uh, I'm understanding the world and and even talking about Cleopatra and talking about uh, Elizabeth Taylor or whatever. And I picture that. I didn't know that that was like 50 years before Christ was born. Yeah. You know, I, I always yeah, think that not was a different even. time. Yeah. 
You know? Yeah, well, that's why. Yeah, that's like someone could have come up to Jesus and be like, "Did you hear about that Cleopatra?" Yeah, and, and he'd be he, like, "Yeah, I know." Yeah, I heard about it. My dad told me about it when I was a kid. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's it is cool. I mean, that's why I like. Or doing hey, it Jesus, do you want some of the silk from China? That's really nice. <laughs> no, 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 I don't need it. Yeah, I'm good. Wow, it's cool. So, now the silk, I'll have to see if the silk was actually too there by that time, but yes. Uh, so now we, now we don't know. Now we don't know. No, I know the Silk Road was opened up, and that period that we no, were reading were about. talking about. The, the period that we were reading about, like, starts at the capture of Egypt, which we know was like, what was that, 30? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And goes up through about 115. So at what point silk would have actually been seen on the streets of Judea, I yeah, don't know. Right. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. Well, well, folks, episode 22 is in the books. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast. Brought to you by One Thing Only. Find us online at onethingonly.org. Click on History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast for more information, reference material, our social media links, as well as a way to contact us to leave questions or comments. We will soon be streaming on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review. Thanks again for listening to History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast.